Amen. Well, I'm honored to introduce our guest speaker for today. Lloyd Kim currently serves as the coordinator for Mission to the World. Mission to the World, or MTW, as it's more commonly known in our circles at least, is the mission sending agency for the Presbyterian Church in America. Many of you are aware that both Pastor Seyung and I are ordained in the PCA, and well, MTW oversees all of the international church planting and mercy ministry efforts for our entire denomination. Before he was appointed as MTW's coordinator in 2015, Lloyd and his wife Ida lived and served in Cambodia, where they helped start a new church planting network, which has since grown to a team of 20 with five sites and four church plants. And before their time in Cambodia, they lived and worked in the Philippines as MTW missionaries. Lloyd's a native Californian. He graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in engineering and worked for a while as a consultant for Ernst & Young and then did his MDiv studies at Westminster Seminary in California and then received his PhD in New Testament studies at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. He and Ida have three kids. Now, you might forgive me for talking him up a bit, but to be honest with you, Lloyd is kind of a big deal in our denomination. And I actually didn't get a chance to meet him in person until we happened to sit right in front of each other at this dinner for Korean American pastors and church leaders at our recent General Assembly meeting this past July. And then a couple weeks later, just out of the blue, it seems, he emailed both me and Pastor Jung Park from the Redemption Church to let us know that he'd be in town this weekend and he wanted to see if he might be free for dinner. So I responded right away, and I said, uh, yeah, I'm free, and oh, by the way, I'm not sure if you have any preaching commitments that Sunday, but you're more than welcome to come to RCC and preach at my church. You know, it's one of those things where it's a long shot, but it doesn't hurt to ask, right? I was almost certain he would be booked already to speak somewhere else, but to my, well, to my shock, really, he wrote back and said, yeah, I'm free, and I'd be happy to come, so... Lloyd, thank you for being here today, and RCC, would you please join me in welcoming Lloyd Kim as our guest speaker this morning. Good morning. Can you hear me now? I'm um, so embarrassed by that, uh, Brian, that's... Very embarrassing. Um, it's a delight for me to be here and worship with you. Uh, what a joy, uh, especially at a time like this. So my heart um, is so knit together with you as I saw the kids in here singing and uh, the videos and how this church is such a light to this area. So thank you for the privilege and honor for me to come and share God's word with you today. On May 20th, in the year 2000, John Piper was speaking to about 40,000 young people. He was at a passion conference in Memphis, Tennessee. And at the beginning of his sermon, he described two women. The first was Ruby Eliason, over 80 years old, single all her life. The other was Laura Edwards, almost 80, retired physician, serving together with Ruby in Cameroon as missionaries. 
These two women who had given their life to serving in the hardest unreached places were driving in their car when the brakes went out. They went over a cliff and they died instantly. John Piper asked this crowd, is this a tragedy? These two women who gave their whole life to exalting the name of Jesus to the poor in the hardest places. 20 years after their American counterparts were throwing their lives away at trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, these two women fly into eternity in a moment. John Piper asks the crowd, is this a tragedy? He shook his head and he says, no, this is not a tragedy. But I'll tell you what is. And then he pulled out a Reader's Digest and he began to read to them. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 years old and she was 51 years old. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and they collect shells. That's a tragedy, Piper told the crowd. Now we all know that we are saved by grace and there's nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven. And yet Piper reminded the crowd, one day we will all stand before our Creator and have to give an account. What then shall we say to Him at that time? Here they are, Lord, my shell collection. Piper, he ends his illustration with a simple plea, don't waste your life. Now my guess is that you are here at church today because you do not think that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards wasted their life. My guess is that you, like me, want to make Jesus our ultimate priority in life. And yet the idea of retiring on the shores of Florida is very enticing, is it not? That pull toward the American dream, well, it's, it's very strong. And it's for this reason why we need to gather. It's for this reason we need to come together as God's people and remind ourselves of these teachings of our Lord and our King. So in our passage today, Jesus, what's he doing? He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And you see this teaching, what it does is it helps to orient our minds and our hearts to kingdom priorities and kingdom values. Three simple points to our sermon today. Number one, the false promises of earthly treasures. Second, gospel promises of, of heavenly treasures. And finally, kingdom living. Jesus tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
So the first thing that Jesus does is he exposes the lies of the world. What does the world tell us? Well, the world tells us that we could find joy and satisfaction and contentment in things here in this world. Jesus, he points out the obvious. Things of this world are temporary, right? They don't last. They don't lead to lasting joy. And when we put all of our hope and, and life into these things, well, at the end of the day, we're going to be disappointed. It never ends. C.S. Lewis, how does he describe materialism? He describes materialism as a wicked witch who gives her victims food that causes greater hunger. That's what materialism does. What's the alternative? The contrast Jesus tells us today is to store our treasures in heaven. And when we do that, and when we do so, they are not subject to the kind of problems that we experience here in this life because in heaven there's no, there's no pandemic. There's no fluctuations in the stock market. We have job security. And so Jesus calls us to store our treasures in heaven. Now why would he say this to us? Why would he, because he wants better things for us. He loves us. You know, when um, we read this passage, sometimes we think Jesus is telling us, don't be greedy. And in a certain sense, that's true. But in another sense, he's saying, you're not actually greedy enough. You see, we often lack the wisdom to know what is truly valuable, what true treasures are. And so in a sense, Jesus does want us to be greedy. But to be greedy for the right things for eternal things, for things that last. And he wants us to find our satisfaction and pleasure, not in the counterfeit pleasures of this world, but in the true treasures that we have in heaven. Have you ever been disappointed, utterly disappointed, and frustrated at storing your treasures here in this world? Do you know what I'm talking about? You guys remember the 2008 stock market crash led to the Great Recession. You know, a few months after that incident, if you were to search up on Google Trends suicide methods, you would find a sharp increase in the number of people who looked that up. Why is that? It's because it's so easy to buy into the lie that our self-worth, right, our value is directly connected to what's in our bank accounts. And so then when everything that we've invested in, everything that we've worked for, everything that gave us value and significance and worth is lost, what happens? We despair. We're crushed. And the truth is, this is true for all of us, Everything that we have on the last day will be lost. We can't take it with us. And so Jesus wants better things for us. He does. He loves us. He's our king. This leads to the second point. Gospel promises of heavenly treasure. 
Jesus continues to teach, where our treasure is, there will our what? Heart be also. What does this mean? It means that our thoughts, our concerns, our time are given to the things or place where we've put all of our treasure. For example, if you've put all of your money in Tesla stocks, you would be very concerned, would you not, about the company. You would probably follow all the tweets that Elon Musk is tweeting out, and your mood, your countenance would rise and fall with every uptick or downtick of the value of that company. Why? Because where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. Now, where does Jesus want us to store our treasures? In heaven. Well, what's in heaven? God is in heaven. What then does Jesus want to occupy our time and capture our hearts? God. And so all that we give and all that we sacrifice for God's kingdom is, is, is really a way of keeping our hearts connected to our Creator, expressing that He, that God is our greatest treasure. How do we get there? The Gospel. Who was Jesus speaking to when He was preaching this sermon on the mount? He was speaking to those who were longing for the coming of the Messiah. He was speaking to those who wanted the Christ, the anointed one, to come and to make all things in this world that were wrong right. He was speaking to those who recognized that much that was wrong in this world began with them. You see, Jesus had a knack of attracting not righteous people who have everything put together. He had a knack of attracting sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, pagans, men and women who knew that they stood before God and deserved his wrath, deserved his judgment. Have we come today recognizing that apart from Jesus, we are no different from them? I'm so grateful for Amazon. Uh, it saves a lot of money, right? Saves a lot of hassle. Um, I was driving home from uh, a trip uh, in Nashville back to my hometown in Atlanta. And um, as I was driving, I found myself behind a large Amazon Prime semi-truck. And I don't know about you, but I don't like driving behind big trucks, right? So I said, oh, I'm going to pass this truck on the left. And so I turned on my blinker. It was safe. I started in the left lane, and I started going faster. And then he started going faster. And then I started going faster, and he started going faster. And I looked to my left, and the speed limit had changed from 65 to 55 because of construction. And right when I was pulling ahead of the truck, I saw a policeman sitting on the right side of the road with his radar gun pointed right at us. And sure enough, as soon as we passed him, he turned on his lights and started chasing after us. Thankfully, 
that Amazon truck blocked me from view of that policeman. And so he drove up right behind that truck and pulled him over while I just kept on driving. I'm so grateful for Amazon. <laughs> Saves a lot of money and hassle. The simple truth is that truck took the punishment, well, that I deserved. Jesus came not only to preach about the kingdom, but he came to establish the kingdom of God. He gave up the treasures of heaven in order to make us God's treasured possession. How? He took the punishment that we deserved. He paid the debt that we owed so that we can be reconciled to God. And so our Lord is not simply reminding us of these teachings, but he is reminding us that we have been bought with a price. And what a price it was. You see, the more that we dwell upon this gospel truth, the more it sinks deeper and deeper, the more we begin to see ourselves in as, as Jesus sees us. We begin to see our significance, our value, not, not what's in our stock portfolios, not what's in our bank accounts, but in who Jesus says we are. And who does he say we are? He says we're the very children of God. He says we're worth the very price of his life. The more that we trust in him, really rest in him, the less af afraid we are of the uncertainties of life because we know that our king loves us and that he is in control. So what does Jesus do? He, he frees us from chasing after those things, those things in this world that make us feel valuable or make us feel secure because they cannot compare to what we already have in him. And even now, Jesus, he gives us access to heavenly treasure. He gives us access to God himself. This leads to the last point. Kingdom living. Right? Our response. What then does kingdom living look like? First, it is a heart orientation to the things of God. We begin to care more about God's name and his glory filling the earth than our own name. Our hearts begin to beat for the, for the kingdom of God and our dreams and our hopes go beyond any earthly treasures. Now, I don't think the Lord is against us from going on a nice vacation or enjoying a nice meal with our spouse. In many ways, how we live is relative right? Think about it. There's uh, very difficult for us to argue that there is one standard of living that all Christians must abide by. And yet, the question still remains. What is that question? What is the ultimate priority of our lives? What do we live for? Is it our work? Is it our investment? Is it our family? Is it our 
desire to amass the comforts of this life or is our fundamental allegiance to the one who has redeemed us and to his kingdom? Later on in this passage of this sermon, Jesus, he only gives us two choices. Either we are living for the things of this world, mammon, or we're living for the kingdom of heaven. He says there can't be a middle way, right? It's a question of the heart. So kingdom living begins with our heart orientation to the things of God. But maybe you're asking, well, what does that actually look like? How do we do this? Well, it's simply a life that seeks to make manifest the rule and reign of God here on earth as it is in heaven. A life that desires that people from all over the world worship King Jesus and live out the ethics of his kingdom. In short, kingdom living is being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples for Jesus of all the nations. People who not only proclaim the kingdom but demonstrate it through acts of love and mercy. People like Ruby Eliason, right? People like Laura Edwards those who gave their last breath to the people of Cameroon. So then, how can we be involved in kingdom living? At least two ways. The first, answer the call of God to go and make disciples of all the nations. And I would add, particularly among those who are unreached and unengaged, there are 6,741 unreached people groups in the world today. The definition of an unreached people group, a population that has less than 2% evangelical Christian. These 6,741 unreached people groups, well, they make up 42.2% of the global population. We're talking 3.14 billion people who do not have access to Christians, to the gospel message. Less than 1% of all full-time Christian workers are ministering to these groups. The well-known Canadian mission mobilizer Oswald J. Smith is quoted as saying, we talk of the second coming. Half of the world has not heard of the first. And if we're not called to make disciples globally, then we are called to make disciples locally here in this community. The second way we can be involved in kingdom living is by supporting the work of those who are making disciples, first through intercessory prayer, but also through financial giving. Do you realize that every week we have the opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God? How? Through your tithes and offerings through the church's work of witness, both locally and globally. This is how we can store our treasures in heaven. Think about all the people who will be there with us in the presence of the Lord because of the outreach and mission work of the church. Each one of those people, each one of those souls, well, they're God's precious treasure. 
friend of mine was sharing about his father. His dad was a Baptist pastor who would go from small town to small town uh, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, preaching. And he told me, he said, growing up we didn't have much of anything. These small churches were hardly ever able to pay us anything at all. So life was hard. The constant moving, the stress, the worry over finances took a toll on their whole family. And after he and all his siblings had grown up, well on into his parents' latter years, his mom left his dad. They got a divorce. And a few years later, his dad died with nothing. He said he didn't have two pennies to rub together. And he said, what kind of life is that? But then he shared with me after the funeral, he was going through his dad's things and he found that old Bible that his dad carried with him everywhere he went. And written in the back of that Bible were the names of all the people that he led to faith. And when he counted the number of names, it was well over a hundred people. And he turned and he said, that's got to be worth something, right? Beloved, what are your dreams for your life? What are your hopes and aspirations? 